The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and we are recording this episode on Wednesday night, July 6th, 2022, as the Chicago White Sox wrap up their home series against the Minnesota Twins. The third game of this series played during the afternoon on Wednesday was quite memorable for the White Sox. Aloy Jimenez returned and he had a home run. The White Sox came back to tie the game five different times and they won in the 10th inning off a walk-off hit by none other than Lurie Garcia to win 9-8 in 10 innings. That type of win against a rival like Minnesota should get the juices flowing. But there's also Monday and Tuesday. A terrible brain fart of running into a triple play hurt the White Sox chances of winning the game on Monday. And Tuesday was not close as the Twins bashed five home runs. So the White Sox lost two out of three against the Minnesota Twins. Meanwhile, Cleveland lost four games to the Detroit Tigers. Yes, you heard that right. Detroit swept the Guardians. So not only do the White Sox fall a game further back from Minnesota after this series, they miss an opportunity to be at least tied with Cleveland for second place in the American League Central. Now they have to face those same Detroit Tigers this weekend for four games, and while we should think it would be an easy series for the White Sox, well, we thought that two weeks ago when Baltimore was arriving in town and the Orioles won three out of four against the White Sox at Guarantee Ray Field. So how should we feel about the White Sox' chances of getting themselves back into the postseason race after this last series? And with the first half of 2022 over, it's also time to dish out our grades on the White Sox efforts. So let's get started. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, the White Sox finally won a game against the Minnesota Twins in 2022. We talked about the home runs being a big difference maker in this series. And it ended up being a pretty significant difference between the Twins and White Sox, especially in Game 2. If it wasn't for the lawn ball, the White Sox don't win Game 3. Yeah, we talked about the 
I guess the number of homers you wanted to see the White Sox hit, which was four, and they did hit four homers. So they hit that number, and, and the way we discussed it was if the uh, White Sox hit four and they were out homered, then you know, depending on the margin, how many runs scoreless homers, like it's a failure of the pitching staff. And I think we can call it that. I think we can call it that with, you know, Michael Kopech, uh, you know, running into third time through problems and Lance Lynn being off his game early and the general relief failures uh, that popped up here and there. So I, I think it's fair. I think, you know, it's nice to see Eloy Jimenez just, you know, jumping back into it and, and getting him started with a ball pulled in the air and then Luis Robert following suit and, and Andrew Vaughn following suit, um, you know, legit homers to the pole field. So there was, yeah, you know, I'm not sure you can call it progress because it's basically like one game where they had multiple homers, but at least it was, you know, something, some, some sign of life. And, you know, as I, I think you can look at it two ways. You can say that, wow, they needed to pull out all the stops and needed like every, you know, all hands on deck to win a game against the Twins this year. On the other hand, that was a game they could very well have lost and nobody would have thought anything of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just, uh, you know, I'm inclined to say, like, take the win however it comes. Uh, while the Twins, uh, you know, walk away with a series victory and a very handsome record against the White Sox, they're probably kicking themselves too, saying, like, well, we could have really put them away. You know, they kicked out of a pin. <laughs> you can't uh, quite uh, say they're down yet. Uh, there's a difference between five and a half games and seven and a half games at this juncture. So uh, it is an important victory, even though it was – Maybe too, uh, maybe a little too hard fought for the only victory so far this year. So how are you feeling about the White Sox postseason chances after this game? Because after tomorrow's game against Detroit, the White Sox are officially at the halfway point. Not good. You know, right now I'd say it's probably about 50-50, which is not good based on how they entered the season being 75%, you know, you know give or take, uh, chance of making the postseason. I think it's more just because I don't trust them to stay healthy. Like, I don't trust Jimenez to stay on the field. I don't trust Makata to stay on the field. And he just you know, left today's game with a bruised foot on a foul ball. So just based on, you know, who might be missing from the proceedings, like, I just don't, as good as they look today, I just don't know if they'll be that same nine, ten people on hand for the rest of the year or most of the rest of the year in order to actually you know make up the deficit that they've created but you know seeing Jimenez hit seeing you know Vaughn you know hit some line drives over the last two days with some with some pop you know the uh the missing you know kind of base we were talking about in terms of getting some uh some some pop off his bat like that was cool so I mean like there's there's stuff to like there's you know not all hope is lost it's just more of a matter of like uh, I, I still don't trust their training staff and to keep all of these guys on the field. Yeah, the Minnesota Twins, as Jim mentioned, hit nine home runs in this series. They scored 22 runs in the three games against the White Sox, where the White Sox just hit four home runs and only scored 14 runs. I'm a bit concerned that the Minnesota Twins scored back-to-back games, uh, eight runs, and they scored a lot of runs off Michael Kopech and Lance Lynn, Jim. Yep. And Johnny Cueto had the best start out of the three and bless Johnny Cueto. He's been the best uh, (laughs) accusation, wow, acquisition for the White Sox. And uh, they added him during the season. I don't know where the White Sox would be right now without Johnny Cueto. But Johnny Cueto pitched the best out of those three. And with Kopech and Lance Lynn getting beat up, that raises an eyebrow for me because... 
they're going to need Kopech and Lynn to be on their A game. And I honestly thought after how successful he was in San Francisco that Lance Lynn could keep the good times rolling, Jim, and, and said he gets beat up. And Michael Kopech's not throwing as hard as he was since his knee injury. So I feel like this starting rotation is not as strong as we think it is at the moment. It, it's been a weird year for the starting rotation. I think we'll probably get to it in a segment in terms of just the big picture. But I guess the good thing about the starting rotation is that when guys have been down, other guys have been up. So in this case, like Lynn is down, but Giolito's up. And Cease has gotten uh, some of his, uh, you know, kind of, kind of a, a second wind in the season. And Cueto's been the steadiest the whole time. So... On the whole, the five-man rotation is good, but I think when you're when you're looking at Lance Lynn, you're looking at Michael Kopech, you're trying to think, is this a rotation that can make up for deficiencies elsewhere? Like, can they carry a team that's not hitting home runs and not playing great defense and, and rolling out, uh, you know, three first basemen and DH in their lineup uh, four to five days? Like, that's a case where, yeah, it's that's where Lynn, you know, being wobbly and Kopech looking like he's, you know, 80% or something like that. That's where that hurts. But I think, you know, the, when you look at the rotation in terms of just what they're delivering one through five turn after turn, it's fine. It just doesn't, they don't have the margin for error, but they've done a nice job of being able to rebound and, and have, uh, you know, guys get out of slumps just as guys are getting into slumps. And that makes it a little bit easier to tolerate and buys a guy like Lynn a little bit of time. I'm more concerned about Kopech just because he's been down for a few starts now when it comes to missing his best fastball. Lynn, I think, is still getting his sea legs a little bit in the season. And, uh, you know, there there had been progress until this point, but the velocity is there. just seems like he's been getting off to rough starts or like the pitch count piles up on him early. So a little bit like Cueto, uh, I think, and just in terms of getting roughed up early and then figuring it out. And hopefully, like Cueto, he can uh, kind of smooth that out a little bit. Yeah, White Sox starters lately have been getting themselves in trouble in the first inning. They may not be allowing a lot of runs, but the pitch count is really high in the first inning. Like, I think even since Dylan Cease, each starter for the White Sox threw more than 25 pitches in the first inning. Mm-hmm. So that that's a trend that needs to stop. <laughs> yeah, bases loaded in the first inning every single inning. Yeah, and, and the bases are loaded. Why? Because you walk three guys. Like, that's... Those are the little things that the White Sox starters have to avoid. And I'm not trying to like pile on the White Sox starters, but other than Johnny Cueto, who bounced back, I think, very nicely. And yeah, he did give up the home run of Byron Buxton, but he only allowed two runs to the Minnesota Twins offense. Kobeck and Lynn could have been a lot more, sh- could have been more sharper for the White Sox, and they could have been a lot better. And both of these games. Maybe game two gets a little closer for the White Sox if Kopech is his typical self. And maybe the White Sox don't need to go into extra innings uh, to beat the Minnesota Twins if Lance Lynn is uh, a bit sharper or is just as sharp as he was in San Francisco. So those are my takeaways, at least in the starting front. Uh, Joe Kelly maybe will be good next year, Jim. I have lost any hope that he'll be good this (laughs) season. I don't know what or when or how the White Sox are going to use Joe Kelly in future games because I figured he would maybe get the appearance that Matt Foster got in the today's game on Wednesday's game, but it said Foster still gets that high leverage responsibility and they hit the Minnesota Twins hit a homer off Matt Foster, so he's not as sharp as he was as uh, he maybe peaked in the Chicago Cubs series in early May at Wrigley Field. 
But yeah, it, the, the pitching side, at least for the White Sox after this series, there are opportunities for them to be better. And they're going to have to be because they don't have an off day until the All-Star break. So if they're exhausted and they're tired, I know that sucks, but you still got 12, you got 12 more games left to go with no days off unless Mother Nature helps you out uh, until the All-Star break. Now, looking at the American League Central standings, again, the Minnesota Twins are 47-38. They're four and a half games ahead of Cleveland, which Cleveland has fell back to 500 after losing four straight games to the Detroit Tigers, which is really eye-opening. And the White Sox are now a game back of Cleveland for second place. They are 39-41. and And after the first game against the Detroit Tigers, we are officially at the halfway point, which we'll give out our first half grades in a moment and have that general conversation. But for the Detroit Tigers and Chicago White Sox, as far as this series, again, last time these two teams met in Detroit, the White Sox swept the series. Your pitching problems for this series starting on Thursday night at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. Dylan Cease will make that start for the Chicago White Sox. And again, he has been terrific against Detroit. So a lot of confidence going into that start. Friday night is a pretty interesting pitching matchup with Tarek Skubal for Detroit going up against Lucas Giolito. Can Giolito make it three straight quality starts for the Chicago White Sox after his slip up in the month of June? That's a 7.10 p.m. Central Time start on Friday night. Saturday is an afternoon game at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. Johnny Cueto will make that start. He'll be opposing Garrett Hill, who will be making the start for Detroit. And then on Sunday, again, 1.10 p.m. Central Time, it'll be Michael Kopech starting that game for the White Sox against Drew Hutchinson. So to put this all together as far as this homestand, the White Sox are currently 1-2 and two right now during this homestand. And the last seven-game homestand that they had against Toronto and Baltimore, they went 3-4. and four. And the White Sox currently are 17-23 and 23 at home. I don't think it's asking a lot, Jim, but the Chicago White Sox, in my opinion, need to sweep the Detroit Tigers to kind of wash away the bad taste of Monday and Tuesday against the Minnesota Twins because I really felt like a 5-2 and two homestand was needed for the White Sox to really thrust themselves back into this race. And over the weekend, the Minnesota Twins are going to face, I believe, the Texas Rangers uh, over the weekend. And the Rangers have been playing better baseball But if the White Sox want to take advantage of this opportunity, a team they've been playing so well against this season, they're 5-1 against Detroit, they still need to be able to beat up on the Tigers. And they they need to reverse what happened to them against Baltimore. Like, I I don't... Maybe Mm -hmm. it is asking a lot, but any loss to Detroit over this weekend, I am not going to be in a good mood. Like, the White Sox need to sweep Detroit here. That's a hard way to live <laughs> when you're, when you're, when you're needing to go four for four for your mood's sake. Yeah. It's the way I'm looking at it is like, you know, uh, it, it's hard to ask of for a sweep, but like three of four is not unreasonable. Split is disappointing, but yeah, I'm looking at it as like, this is going to be a long haul project to make up five and a half games. It's, you know, the twins are good or decent you know like you know we, we talked about before we liked cleveland i'm really surprised just how cleveland fell flat against the tigers like uh bieber got beat up quantrill got beat up like they couldn't beat hutchinson like they had all these great performances you know like i mean jose ramirez is great but i mean like they had like you know it looked like jimenez was taking next step and and 
you know, they, they've come up with outfielders here and there to kind of make up the gap, but now they're falling off again. You know, like you know, they have a whole bunch of guys, 700 OPS or below. So uh, I thought the offense was gaining a little bit of identity around Ramirez and now it hasn't. And now we're watching, you know, kind of similar to the White Sox in that the starting uh, rotation can't do everything for the team. You know, they probably a little bit removed from their, you know, Kluber days or the Bieber as a Cy Young winner days. And they're lacking that kind of, you know, real frontline talent to just shut teams down for seven innings at a time. So yeah, they're, they, they lost a little bit of steam. The Tigers have a little bit of, uh, you know, Eric Haas hate to see him uh, getting hot <laughs> just as he enters a series against the White mm-hmm. Sox because it kills him. Like Riley Green is going to be, uh, I'm looking forward to watching him as a baseball fan, as an AL Central scholar. I, I, I think I'll call myself that I'll put that on my resume <laughs> just curious to see what he looks like and see how the White Sox handle him like it's you know Torkelson I think has been I mean I mean it's a fine that he's been a disappointment but uh, I think it's you know I think Green has been what Torkelson hasn't been in terms of providing the impact and that precocious talent that the uh the Tigers need but yeah I, I'm looking at the central and saying like it's going to take weeks I think to make it up I don't think there's going to be like one big Mm-hmm. seven game swing that all of a sudden, you know, the White Sox are, you know, within two days of making up that gap. I don't think they're good enough. I think the twins are both good enough and the central is weak enough. Like they're, they're, you know, if they have to play at the Royals for a weekend or the Tigers, you know, assuming the Tigers, you know, don't continue this upswing, uh, you know, their strength of schedule isn't that imposing either. So, you know, I'm just looking at the twins and saying like, yeah, they got, they got enough to at least, um, not get into a long funk that allows the White Sox just to all of a sudden overtake them over the course of a week. So I'm I'm thinking this is like a mid-August project to me versus like, you know, by the trade deadline. I mean, it could go into September, honestly, yeah. to catch the Minnesota Twins at this moment. I just feel like I would feel better about the White Sox chances of making the whole season if they are at or above 500 entering the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. And the best way of doing that is to sweep Detroit, split the four games in Cleveland, and split the four games in Minnesota. If you do that, you are going to put yourself at eight and four over that 12 game stretch. Now, if they go six and six, if they split each of these four game series, well, there's still two games below 500, they're 45 and 47, and then they got that three game weekend series to kick off the post all star break against Cleveland. And I mean, that series already has a lot of pressure, but second place in the American League Central could be on the line between the White Sox and Cleveland. And, you know, the White Sox have to get past Cleveland right now before they could even catch the Minnesota Twins. So that, that's kind of where my feeling is at is this team has been playing so poorly at home this season that they owe the fans a lot more than a four game sweep on how this season has gone. But I really feel like, at minimum, they should win three out of four so that we can finally see this team at 500 before they start this eight-game road trip, which is a tough road trip for them, four games in three days in Cleveland, and then we'll see them in Minneapolis the following weekend. Uh, And then it's all of a sudden the All-Star break. I just feel like for morale's sake, because now we're beyond the first half of the season, we're still talking about a White Sox team that's below 500. They need a jolt. At some point for all of these teams, even in the Atlanta Braves, right? Everybody keeps bringing up the Braves. Well, the Braves were 38 and 41 last year. Well, from 
July, the end of July through mid-August, the Atlanta Braves went 17-3 and to get themselves right back into the thick of things, especially in the National League East. Like, when are the White Sox going to have that type of stretch? Like, if you want me to believe that they can make the postseason, they need to go on a crazy stretch. And I think a crazy stretch can begin if they win four straight games against the Detroit Tigers. And I think they can. They just swept the Tigers in Detroit not that long ago. And Detroit is 11-23 on the road. They are not a good road team. So I feel like almost like the, the universe is putting this, you know, perfect circle for the White Sox this weekend to sweep Detroit. But I also said that a couple of weeks ago against Baltimore and they lost three out of four. So maybe I should just prepare for the worst, Jim. Yeah, this is a case where, you know, we just saw them have counter punches for the twins when it comes to the long ball. And this would be a good series to keep that going. Like the tigers do not hit homers. Like this is a good, uh, as good time as any, put a dent in that home run deficit at home. Jimenez is back. Vaughn looks like he's got his legs back. He's playing first. He's jumping. He's sprawling. He looks like he's active again. Uh, Robert pulled a ball rather than hitting those ineffective pop-ups to the right side. So Here's a case where, yeah, they want to see them drive the ball, want to see them get some lift, uh, put up some crooked numbers, some quick strikes. And, uh, you know, like I, like I said, it's hard to plan for a sweep, but we saw them sweep the Giants. We didn't expect that to happen. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, you know, I, I don't say they have to sweep the Tigers because they could very well overperform in Minnesota or overperform against Cleveland. Like they can, they have that in them, you know, and, and it's going to be a project and it's going to be, you know, not, not, uh, not merely beating up on the teams they're expected to beat. Like they have to, they have to notch some upsets here with the hole they've dug themselves against the top two teams in the division. And they should have the talent on hand to occasionally do that, especially in the pitching matchups lineup. Well, hopefully the white Sox do sweep the Detroit Tigers. We'll recap that series of the Sox machine podcast the following Monday, and then preview again, a very critical road trip for the Chicago white Sox as they head to Cleveland and Minnesota before the All-Star break. We'll also have a White Sox wake-up call between now and that Sox Machine podcast to recap the first game between the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers. As again, Dylan Cease will be starting game one of that four-game series and the way that he performs against Detroit, and Detroit just has the toughest time against Dylan Cease. If the Tigers win the first game of this series, I would be shocked, Jim, uh, against the White Sox. So I'm hoping that the good vibes from the Wednesday win against the Minnesota Twins will at least carry over one more night through Thursday night, and then we'll see how Friday through Sunday go for the Chicago White Sox before they start that road trip, and before you know it, we're at the All-Star break. Speaking of the All-Star break, we are through the first half of the 2022 season, so Jim and I will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors, but coming up next, it's our first half grades. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. As we mentioned before the break, the first half of the 2022 season is over. And the Chicago White Sox are going to be below 500 either way uh, as they enter the 50% mark of the season being completed. The season itself, we know it's been disappointing. We feel that disappointment with you as well, because I think that's just the general overall feeling about the Chicago White Sox in 2022. It's one big disappointment. But we're going to break down as far as the team. We're going to give our grades for the White Sox offense, the defense, the starting pitching, the bullpen, the White Sox coaching staff, and the White Sox front office. And at the end... We're going to share our thoughts on where we think the White Sox could be at the trade deadline. Are they going to be buyers? Are they going to be sellers? Or are they going to stay put? So let's talk about the Chicago White Sox offense. So Jim, I'll have you start. What is your grade for the White Sox offense in the first half? I'm going to go with a D. It feels like, you know, I think when it comes to runs scored, when it comes to homers, feels like an F, but I think there are enough ingredients, effective parts, like, you know, Anderson's been good, Abreu's been good, Vaughn's been good, to where, like, it's not a complete failure, and with Jimenez and Moncada back and maybe uh, showing some upward progress, there could be some, you know, averageness in terms of power around the corner. So that's why I say D. Yeah, the White Sox are 22nd in Major League Baseball and runs scored. So I agree with you. I would give them a D. Now, if they were 26th or worse... That's where I would put the White Sox at an F. And we posted our grades as well for those that follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine and follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Posting their grades as well. And for our followers on Twitter, 86% gave the White Sox a DF uh, for their first half in 2022 for the White Sox offense. There's hope here, right? That this unit could be better. With them getting healthier and the types of swings that we saw on Wednesday, do you have hope that this could turn around, Jim, and we could see the offense that we thought we would see at the beginning of the season in the second half? I don't think it's going to be a complete turnaround, but I just would like to see some sporadic production. (laughs) Even just, you know, scoring nine runs and then scoring one. And then, you know, scoring six runs and scoring two. Like, you know, that's been the issue is that there haven't really been the ups to counteract the downs and to feel like, you know, just, you know, uh, I'm thinking to the early 2000s offenses uh, when they're coming up short to the Twins in a different way, in a different era. And they just, you know, would be all or nothing. Like I would like some of that all. 
I want to have it all for at least a game or two. And then, you know, go back to it. I, I don't think they're the on base machine. The, uh, they don't work pitchers over to where they can have it steady stream of five, six, five, seven, nine, five, four, you know, just, you know, those, you know, above average run outputs game after game after game. But there should be more of these, you know, quick strikes, these all of a sudden two run homers, these, these uh, counter punches that they had against the twins. That's what I'm hoping at least. So moving over to the defense, I'll start here. The White Sox are a bottom five team defensively in Major League Baseball. So for me, that's an easy F. The White Sox get an F for their defensive grade. Jim, how about you? What grade would you give the White Sox defense after the first half? I would say a D minus just because they were running solid F. There's been some improvement as of late across the team. I think when Mankata's healthy, he helps out. Anderson's we got off to an abysmal start. He's been a little bit better. Josh Harrison, I think, has been as advertised. It really just comes down to when you look at the the raggedness as a team. It's the guys out of position. It's you know Andrew Vaughn in left. It's you know, Gavin Sheets in right. Um, you know, really, I think AJ Pollock is the only guy. Yeah, you know, I think Roberts had a down year, but he's been average. You know, it, it's just disappointment when he's average, when he's kind of ordinary, and when he makes mistakes. But I think like AJ Pollock is the one guy who just, you know, I, I watch him play and just think like, who are you? <laughs> how did this happen? How are you as bad as Andrew Vaughn in a different way? You know, how, you know, it reminds me a little bit of late stage Juan Pierre. When I watch him track a ball, like I lose faith. Like, you know, just the feet don't look confident. Uh, the ball is caught in weird places of the glove. Just simple stuff like that. That makes me think like this, you know, there's a chance that he drops this. There's like a 3% chance that he drops this ball when, you know, what's the actual percentage rate? Like 0.25% like that uh, ball is just flat on drop. So, you know, when you look at that 3%, if you know, feels like a lot and I'm just pulling that number out of my butt, but it's, that's, that's just, you know, the, 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 the lack of confidence there, but I give him a D minus just because the guys who are playing well, like Reese McGuire's playing well, Subby Zavala is playing better. I think Abreu has been inconsistent. He's, you know, showing a little bit of his age at first base, but he's also you know, picked it up as of late. I think they've gotten out of F range to me, but they're not far enough away. Like I, I put D minus because they're like one development away from sliding back into F range. So I don't feel like they've clearly, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, or, or they've cleared a bar to where uh, they have a margin for error for the grade below them. I think eventually this defensive unit will get into the D territory at the end of the 2022 season. But this is something that really does need to be discussed and something for White Sox fans, especially for those that participate in the Sox Machine offseason plan project. How are you going to make this team defense better? Because when you're looking at outs above average and you look at the overall defensive unit as a team, it is eye-opening on just how poor the White Sox are defensively, especially on the outs that they are not generating, where other teams are generating those outs. And where we see it really bad is in the corner outfield spots, both in left field and right field this season for the White Sox. And yeah, we had that expectation because they're putting first baseman out in the corner outfield spots, but it's very alarming on just how poor the White Sox are in the corners, how the difference is between Jake Berger and Yohan Makata at third base. So mm-hmm. if, if Yohan Makata could stay healthy, then yeah. The White Sox defensive grade for me will bump up from F to D, but this is a glaring need that the White Sox have to address 
in the offseason to really bounce back in 2023. They cannot continue to do this, uh, especially with the starting pitchers that they have on hand. Our followers gave the White Sox, 80% gave the White Sox a DF uh, for their grade on Twitter, Jim, for the first half of 2022. So they, so far, are aligned with us. I might be not so aligned in this next group, and that is the starting pitchers. So, Jim, I'll go back to you. What grade would you give the White Sox starting pitchers in the first half of 2022? Went with a B minus. All right. Why'd you go with the B minus? Just because, you know, I think, you know, there are two ways to grade them, or at least, you know, the, the way to grade them is relative to how they fit into this White Sox team and how much weight they can carry. I'm grading them more in terms of just how many teams would find the White Sox starting uh, pitching situation enviable. And I think a lot of teams would take what the White Sox have one through five. As I mentioned before, uh, they haven't, you know, they, they've taken turns being the worst starter. Like it was Keuchel, then it was Giolito. Now it's Kopech slash Lynn. But I mean, like they've, they've had ups and downs, but one through five, it's never bad. Like I never see a weekend and say like, oh crap, like this is going to be an uphill battle. I mean, I think that for other reasons, uh, mainly who the White Sox offense is facing. But when you look at the probable pitchers, like they never look overmatched for a weekend. And uh, I wish they could do more. And I and I wish they could, you know, have that kind of, you know, Bieber-like, Kluber-like ability to mask deficiencies elsewhere in the diamond and like a lineup that has no outfield, like, you know, that they were able to do in Cleveland for years and years. Uh, they're not that, but I think, you know, they could certainly be doing worse. Cueto has basically solved the entire depth issue by himself. Davis Martin as a sixth starter is a revelation and uh, a nice development to where like, you know, Vince Velasquez is hurt and, and Vince Velasquez has been down and nobody really cares. So I think like the situation is fine. They could be doing better, but they could be doing a lot worse. Guys could be hurt. It's intact. Um, you know, Cease has been really effective. So I, I think B- minus feels fair to me. I went with a C. So 57% of our followers are with you, Jim. They gave the White Sox starting pitchers a B for the first half. Then 32% gave the White Sox pitching staff a C. Because you are right. This White Sox team on the starting pitching front... One through five is a lot stronger on paper than many teams have. Even playoff contenders right now don't have the type of starting pitching depth that the White Sox have one through five now that everybody has returned to Chicago and they're off the injured list. But they currently rank 18th in wins above replacement as a unit on fan graphs. They're 17th in ERA. They're second to last in walk rate. They walk way too many batters, but they are second in strikeout rate. And it's pretty clear that this is, at least on paper, when you're looking at the data, this is a starting pitching unit that does not trust its defense. And as we just talked about, I gave the defense an F, so I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. I think this is another grade at the end of the season where this is going to be a solid B at the end of the season when everybody gets back into rhythm they break off the rust. They stay healthy. This can be one of the best starting pitching units in all of Major League Baseball. But after the first half of the season, yeah, Dallas Keuchel's results are mixed in. But as we mentioned, Lucas Giolito's month ERA in June was worse than Keuchel's month ERA in the month of May. 
it's been a bit off kiltered as far as the White Sox starting rotation staff, but with everybody healthy at this moment, I'm with you. I have a lot of confidence in the White Sox starters, but as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, I could still be surprised at just how poorly Michael Kopech and Lance Lynn pitched against the Minnesota Twins. So that's why I have the White Sox starting staff as a C. It's fine. It can be better. And I think we both are expecting the White Sox starters to be better in the second half of the season. Let's move over to the bullpen. And this is a grade that keeps slipping for me, Jim. Mm -hmm. I am giving the White Sox bullpen a D. They ranked 20th in ERA, and that was before Wednesday's game against the Minnesota Twins, so that's going to get worse. They rank 18th in Major League Baseball as a bullpen unit and wins probability added. They're actually in the negative regarding that. But they're 10th in wins above replacement as a bullpen. So if you want to convince me that they should be at least at a C, like our followers have, 60% of our followers gave the bullpen a C, maybe I could be convinced. But when this unit does not have Liam Hendricks, and Kendall Graveman is starting to fade. And as I mentioned, maybe Joe Kelly will be good in 2023. Aaron Bummer might be dead for all we know. So I'm seeing a lot of games where it's up to Tanner Banks and Matt Foster and Jose Ruiz. And man, you know, these are guys that you're hoping to be like your seventh or eighth guy in the bullpen. But the White Sox are constantly having to rely on these guys and Bless their hearts, they're trying to do their best, but they just don't have the talent to make this bullpen unit elite. This bullpen is not meeting expectations of the 2022 season, and the data backs it up. So that's why right now the bullpen is a D, and I'm wondering if they can't stay healthy, if the high-priced guys, especially in Kendall Graveman and Joe Kelly, if they don't bounce back, and if this team doesn't get Aaron Bummer back, I don't know how much higher this bullpen grade is going to be at the end of the season. Yeah, I wrestled with this grade just because they have been, you know, worked hard, but, you know, they didn't invest so much money into the unit and it was supposed to be a strength. So, you know, Lopez has been, you know, I've really enjoyed seeing him develop into a weapon out of the bullpen. The sliders improve, the fastball life is back. So that's cool. Foster's had some moments, you know, though, though he's kind of on a downswing now. Ruiz had some moments early. They've had some guys who have stepped up and provided a little bit of a boost when they needed it. But, you know, Graveman's been good, but also, like, you know, susceptible to looking shaky on back-to-back days, which if he's one of your biggest acquisitions, like, they, you know, that shouldn't be as taxing as it is, like, in April and May. Like, you know, if they're trying to guard him this early, like, that, that kind of makes me think, like, huh, you know, just this is too soon for that right now. I understand like the big picture of like not wanting him to work 85 games in a year, but when you, when they're that, you know, cautious about him working back to back days and Joe Kelly working consecutive games, uh, you know, that's a lot of money for guys who are effectively injured every other day. Like that's kind of how I look at it when they can't, when they're prohibited from working back to back days, that's a lot of time being injured, uh, which I don't really, yeah, I should say don't really care for. But in terms of like grading, like I, I hold it against him because I think, you know, availability is a part of ability. So I, I think, you know, with Bummer being wobbly and then out and then Kelly being really shaky when he's not hurt and Graveman just being uncertain in terms of how much of load he can actually carry. Like I did, I think I settled on a D plus just because it does feel like it's taped, 
together a little bit. It's like, hasn't been terrible. You know, maybe in terms of performance, they're like a C minus, but I don't see, you know, based on who's around, who's hurt. Like, yeah, I think Hendricks is solid as long as, you know, he doesn't go back in the injured list. Like I, I, I trust him. Graveman, I don't know how much to trust, especially if he needs to carry a load in the absence of like Kelly not being there or trustworthy and Aaron Bummer not being around. Like, can Graveman shoulder that? And I think if he can't, then I think you'll see some, you know, guys overexposed and, and the pieces kind of topple. And then Rick Hahn has to try to add a reliever at yet another transaction window, which he's done like the last four or five. Like he's focused heavily on relievers. Like they cannot generate fixed solutions from within. So it that feels like a D plus to me when they're that thin. And, you know, maybe injuries is part of it. Luck is part of it. And some people won't hold that in their grade, but I think I do when you put the resources that the White Sox have put into trying to make it a stable unit that requires very little additional resources over the course of the rest of the season. Can we talk about the back-to-back days not being available to go back-to-back games? Like, if I guess I get it in July, but this radically needs to change and they need to be available if this team's going to go to the postseason gym. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, you're going to have these long stretches of the season. Like, in the month of August, you go almost three weeks without an off day. Like, you're going to have to go back-to-back days in the first round of the postseason. There's no days off. It's three straight days. So, you, what are you hoping for, Kendall Graveman and Joe Kelly, that the starter throws a complete game in game one? And the game that you pitch in is the deciding game and you move on. Like you need to be available and you need to pitch well when you are pitching back to back days. Like it's crunch time and you're getting all of this money to be these high leverage relievers. And as you mentioned, more times than not, you're not available. And that's why White Sox fans throw their hands up in the air and we scream at Tony LaRusse about bullpen management. Like, why are we seeing Matt Foster in this situation? Why, why it's Jose Ruiz pitching in the 10th inning and not Joe Kelly? Like, I get that frustration, but I, I wonder if it's also got to be frustrating as well for the coaches in the dugout when these guys physically are just not available to pitch back-to-back games right now. Yeah, it's, you know, Foster kind of reminds me, he's like the bullpen Danny Mendick in that, like, he's just, he's always available. You know, he's always, he can take the ball. You may not want him to, but like a lot of his career and a lot of his success is just being there to take the ball or take the field when others can't. And, uh, you know, it's great for him and it's the way he makes his living. But yeah, just there, you know, when he gets the ball, when Ruiz gets the ball, when they're the ones who can because they're not important enough to preserve their health, but they're also like, you know, taking the ball when instead of Graveman or Kelly, you know, and, and maybe you don't want to see Kelly take the ball, but that's, you know, an issue. It's a different issue, but also the same when it comes to factoring the grade. It's it's tough. And, you know, I don't want to dislike Foster because he's a cool story. And it's, uh, you mm-hmm. know, good for him to, you know, fashion the career that he has. But yeah, just... They always had to keep coming back to these same solutions because the guys they import to try to carry these higher leverage situations, whether it's guys like Graveman or Tapera or Kimbrell or uh, Kelly or like guys they, you know, like do you know, crochet, they, they spent draft capital on, like they're not around. So yeah, that, and that makes it hard to give them a grade that starts with a C. 
Well, let's move then to the coaching staff and the front office. So let's start with the coaches, Jim. What grade are you giving the White Sox coaching staff for the first half of 2022? I feel like I have to grade them on kind of pass fail uh, for the coaching staff. And I would say fail. Why fail? Just because of what we're talking about <laughs> week in and week out. Our podcasts are the same, you know, and I would say, you know, with the coaching staff, like training staff might be in there too. Just the, you know, everything working together. Like Ethan Katz, you know, you want to spare him at the same time. Like we've seen some starters backslide a little bit, like Lucas Giolito having like the roughest patch of his career since the, you know, he was the worst starter in baseball, according to guaranteed rates. Uh, that's a case where like, you know, Ethan Katz is fine. Uh, but I also think, you know, he's a young coach who has, you know, first time ever in this role, first time ever with these responsibilities. He has learning to do, proving to do. And I think it's fair to, you know, express some skepticism too and or not leave him out of or not feel inclined to leave him out of it just because, you know, his failures or the the weaknesses on his part aren't as glaring as, say, like Frank Menachino's or uh, you know, and, and also I lump in Joe McEwing and Daryl Boston, like, you know, with the base running the defense, they've been around for three managers now. Why, you know, you, you, you know how I had the the theory or the, the idea that, you know, the White Sox should have one year managers. <laughs> I have another idea that when it comes to like non-hitting coach, everybody below like the pitching coach and hitting coach level, if they're, if they haven't been hired or interviewed for another job in a five-year period, let them go. Okay. Like just, you know, like, I want to see the White Sox hire guys other teams want. Yeah. Yeah. Because they want to hire them for better positions because they think that they're ready to handle better positions. So they have really good ideas or they're good coaches. We don't even know. Good communicators. Yeah, we don't even know if Daryl Boston and Joe McEwing are good coaches. Like, I, I give the coach he grade an F. And you may be shocked here, but 93% of our Twitter followers also gave the White Sox coaching staff a DF for the first half of the 2022 season. I mean, they're not even close to expectations. Like, this team's nowhere close to expectations. And you can't blame it on injuries because they had injuries last year. And they mm-hmm. pressed the right buttons to overcome those injuries. And they found a way, especially in May and June of last year, to not fall flat on their face and not be able to get up. That hasn't been the case in 2022. We're still talking about a below 500 White Sox team. And I just find it funny that, and this is no dig on Scott Merkin because he's doing his job for MLB.com and he sat down with Tony Larusa. And Larusa continues to bring up this point, Jim, that he's not afraid of being held accountable for how the team is performing. I don't think Larusa has any idea what that means. Like, as a manager, if you're held accountable for your team failing, you're fired. Go ask Joe Girardi and Joe Madden. They're unemployed. Mm-hmm. Like your team is failing. You probably should have been fired weeks ago, Tony, for your, you shouldn't have got the job. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Let's yeah. I mean, we could really back up the truck there and, and have that conversation. But you know, Dan Zaborski, our, our best friend of the show on fan graphs after Tuesday night's loss where the white Sox lost eight to two is just not inspiring baseball at all. And poor Jose Abreu, there's this still shot and video of him being the only White Sox player in the dugout just looking out of the field. And you could just tell that it's just like a blah mood. Like, he's sad about how the team played that night. And Dan Zaborski makes a good point. Like, what's the point of Tony La Russa 
continuing to be managing if he cannot motivate this team to play better baseball? If he can, if, yeah. he, if he can't motivate them, this Hall of Fame manager with these World Series rings, if he cannot motivate them to play better, then why is he still managing? And it's a good question. Yeah, I, I think you know if you can't be fired, there's no way to be truly accountable. Right. It's just like sports owners right. saying you can hold me accountable, fans. And the heck, what what does that mean? <laughs> we can't fire you. We're not shareholders. You know. Mm-hmm. You're still going to own the team. Like, it's just silly whenever I hear that. And yeah, just when I hear Tony LaRusso say, I'm not afraid of being held accountable. No one's going to hold you accountable with the, within this organization, Tony. Maybe if they can like rescind his Hall of Fame ring or something. <laughs> <laughs> like that'd be the, like the one way to be like, oh, uh, sorry. I, I guess I don't want to be held accountable. I retire. But uh, yeah, it's. No way, like, you know, I, I liked it before, like a guy like drinks are on me and then he doesn't have to pay the tab. Like that's, you know, he never has to settle up and the bar might go under as a result of all the unpaid uh, drinks. But, you know, maybe I shouldn't use drinks for this analogy, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a case where, yeah, it's, it's, there's no way for, he's, he's protected. He's a protected class and it's a case where, uh it means nothing. And he doesn't understand that means nothing. Like when he says like, uh, I'm, I'm happy fans are booing me. Cause that means they care. Like that's, that sounds terrible when you can't be yeah. fired. Like that's not like when that just means like, Oh, I, I'm, uh, I'm happy. They're still paying money. That's kind of what that strikes me is like, we're still getting their money. They're still showing up. They're still, you know, they're, they're still, you know, giving us TV ratings to sell ads against. You know, to me, you know, when you can't be fired, you know, all those statements can be uh, taken as like suckers. Mm-hmm. Ha ha yeah. ha. Yeah. And you just look at the overall first half. I mean, all the conversations we had, like what is going on with Andrew Vaughn's playing time? And then why is Andrew Vaughn batting eighth in the lineup? And why is Lurie Garcia batting third in the lineup? And just these odd tendencies throughout the first half in which, you know, I don't know how to calculate it. I know people have been asking, is there a way you could calculate wins above replacement for a baseball manager? And I know people have tried in the past, and it's really tricky to point out just how and where the impact is for a Major League Baseball manager over the course of the season. But the White Sox are way below expectations. They're third place in the American League Central. For the listeners... If I brought you back before the beginning of the season on April 7th and I told you in three months the Chicago White Sox will be 39-41 and 41 and in third place in the American League Central, you'd, buy, you'd be screaming at me. You would be screaming at me and be like, there's no way. This team is too good. They should fire Tony La Russa immediately if it ever gets that bad. And that's why I'm giving the White Sox coaching staff an F. Because that's what we would say before this season started. And as we have watched this first half unraveled for the White Sox at times, they're still getting an F. Now, could it improve? Could they press the right buttons during the second half of the season? Can they set August ablaze and get themselves right back into first place in the American League Central and improve this coaching grade? Absolutely they can. But from what we saw in the first half, it seems like this is a hurdle that the White Sox players are going to have to leap over. Like they have to overcome their own coaches and the coaches' decisions to win games. 
And that's not a great position to be in. Now let's move over to the front office and I will start. This is also an mm-hmm. F, a big F. So let's go back to the beginning of this season when we had our preview episode with our friend Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. Jim will be talking to Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score this upcoming Friday, so you'll be able to listen into that segment on the new show with Dan Bernstein. And we gave Rick Hahn's offseason grade, or at least I did, a B-. minus. I think you gave Rick Hahn a C plus because we had high hopes that the A.J. Pollock for Craig Kimbrell trade was going to work out for the White Sox. Well, let's review the White Sox targets that they added over the offseason. And let me know if I'm forgetting anyone, Jim. I got Lurie Garcia's three-year contract. I got Josh Harrison. I got Vince Velasquez, Joe Kelly, Kendall Graveman, Johnny Cueto, A.J. Pollock, Reese McGuire, and then Adam Hazley. Is there anyone that I'm missing that Rick Hahn acquired? I think that's it. Those nine players have accumulated total one win above replacement. Mm -hmm. Rick Hahn added nine players to this roster. Spent tens of millions of dollars adding these guys to the roster. And combined, they have one war. Nine players, one war. F. I I rescind my offseason grade before the season. It is not a B minus. Take the minus off. Erase some parts of my B. It is an F and I do not know if I trust Rick Hahn coming into this trade deadline as far as his thought process and possible targets to help improve this team. And I, I really don't trust him coming into this upcoming off season. And I still believe if the white Sox don't make the playoffs, Rick Hahn needs to be fired and the white Sox need to have somebody else lead the charge and bring in some new fresh ideas on how to make this roster better for 2023 because the thinking and the types of players that they continue to keep signing is just stale and it doesn't work. And you can keep bringing up Kenny Williams all you want or Jerry Reinsdorf. It's Rick Hahn that supposedly is the brain trust and making the decisions here for the White Sox. He acquired nine players in the offseason and they are worth one win above replacement combined. That is enough. Yeah. Whenever I say Rick Hahn, you know, I, I, I've stopped caring about who <laughs> is actually in charge. Like that, what, you know, Rick Hahn is basically just the administration. You know, whether you want to say it's Kenny Williams or whether you want to say it's Jerry Reinsdorf. I just look at them as like a three-legged stool uh, that just leans on each other for stability and deflects blame. And just, you know, they, they you know, I, I don't care. Like, I, I don't care who's in charge. I don't care. You know, it's, Everybody's comfortable with the arrangement the way it is. So that's on them for however it works out. There, there's no, you know, I don't see a point in trying to protect Rick Hahn's honor uh, if, if there is any to be protect. But I think just, you know, the way you can kind of boil it down is that they spent $11 million on second base and did not solve it. Uh, they've spent $40 million on the bullpen and they'll need to invest more in the bullpen probably uh, because that didn't solve it. The, their payroll is up to 190, 195 million and the team's worse. And part of it is because of those contract extensions to, you know, Moncada and Robert and uh, Jimenez. You know, when, yeah, I've been looking at those contracts, especially like the Robert and Jimenez ones and realizing that no team has followed their lead and in investing that much money on players who had not had a major league plate appearance. 
you know, in, in the other two that are comparable, Scott Kingry and Evan White, those have been disasters. Uh, Kingry for Philadelphia, White for the Mariners, like they have been terrible. Part of me wonders when you look at White and, and Kingry and you look at, you know, Robert and Jimenez getting hurt, not quite putting it together. Like, I wonder if there's something to that. Like there's a reason why after a certain amount of money, uh, teams have said like, well, we'll take our chances. We're not going to, you know, if we like them, we'll pay them eventually. We're not going to try to, you know, there's diminishing returns to getting, you know, putting that much money uh, in front of them before their skills are complete, before their talents have completely coalesced. Like that, that's something I'm, I've been rolling around in my head just because uh, when you look at next year's payroll and you see what Jimenez is making, see what Robert's making, uh, you know, making, like those are no longer bargains. The way that like the Chris Sale, Quintana, Adam Eaton deals were like no brainers. Uh, it's gotten to a point where like, this is serious, non-negligible money. Like Tim Anderson is less, the last of those contracts that were uh, no brainers to sign, but also like he'd been in the league for a year, like before he signed that one. So, uh, you know, I kind of factored in too, like that strategy might not be, you know, and, and that kind of ties back to the whole idea of like coaches not getting jobs elsewhere. Like nobody's copying what the White Sox are doing financially. <laughs> nobody's copying what they're doing on the field. Farm wise, like there's, they're not leading the way in any kind of respect. So the organization could use a refresh, but yeah, it just, when you've spent that much money and, and the team's worse, and we've been talking about it for a few acquisition periods now, trade deadlines and off seasons. Like I, you know, I get tired of seeing them spend the bullpen because that counts on them having leads to protect. And we've said like sign a Michael Brantley, sign Kyle Schwerber, sign like you get a left-handed bat. You got to diversify the defense a little bit to get, you know, get out, back out of this dead end of having so many players who can barely play left field if they can at all. From the outside, we've been warning and saying like, this doesn't look good. This, I don't know where the walks are going to come. I don't know where, how they're going to contend against good right-handed starting. You know, we've talked about before, like where are the home runs coming from? So, you know, Rick Hahn likes to say, like, you know, when, when say, like, the Michael Conforto deal doesn't happen and it turns out that his shoulder's banged up and he needs surgery. And Rick Hahn will say, like, well, you know, we have information that nobody else has. And so fans can talk, but they have limited uh, information. And so, you know, we just have to shrug it off. Like, okay, that's all well and good. But, like, when uh, idiots like us, when what we say, based on what we can see and what the numbers we look at and just the trends we notice from watching this team every damn day, like when they, when they materialize how we've said it and not just how we've said it, like how a bunch of people have said, like a critical mass of people who care have said it. Like if he has more information than us and he's making, you know, he's, he's staring into these dead ends. Like, doesn't that make those decisions worse? If he doesn't know, like, you know, like say like uh, Cesar Hernandez, like I wanted the white Sox to trade for him. Yeah. It made sense. I like the move. Didn't work out. Like, okay, that's, that's a whiff on me, you know, but like, also I don't theoretically have the information. So if he makes a move, uh, you know, that I like, yeah, it, it just, it strikes me as a case where, you know, it, it comes back to the idea, I think of accountability and he can't be held. Nobody can be held accountable because no one can lose their jobs. He's been uh, GM for 10 years now. He's had, you know, one rebuild that failed. He has another rebuild that's wobbling right now. And it's kind of running in the same problems he had with the first rebuild. And, you know, it's, I don't know how many years he's supposed to get. Uh, I mean, I already, yeah, supposed to get was maybe like five years ago. <laughs> but in terms of like how many years, you know, he can be expected and, or this administration can be expected to 
to continue doing this and continue uh, not being uh, worthy of emulation in any way. Like that's just a long way, you know, that's a long time to be stagnant. And if, if it takes like losing as hard as they lost to be a team that's under 500 at the halfway point uh, in a weak division, it, it's hard to feel like this, you know, this front office has a whole lot of upside. In Rick Hahn's tenure, tenure as the general manager of the Chicago White Sox, they are 120 games below 500. They are 657 and 777. That's their win-loss record. That is a 458 winning percentage as Rick Hahn is general manager, and they are 2-5 and five in the postseason during his tenure as 10 years. Now, yes, I'm hearing the screaming. Well, they had rebuilding years. They were trying to lose. Why did they have to rebuild? 2015 and 2016, before you start screaming, well, that's Kenny's problem. Rick Hahn's been part of the organization for 20 years now. Mm -hmm. He got hired in 2003. He's been along for this ride. I do not think the thinking is all that different. I believe the White Sox are a high find when it comes to decision making. And I am saying that hive needs to go away. It is stale. And the White Sox need somebody else to come in with fresh ideas. And you mentioned no one's copying what the White Sox are doing since the rebuild is because everyone's hiring Tampa Bay Rays and Houston Astros executives, Jim. They're trying mm-hmm. to copy that model, not the White Sox model. No one is saying we're following the White Sox rebuild plans. No, the White Sox are still alone on this path. And it is very clear They cannot spend money well, and that is a huge red flag for any organization of any business on this planet Earth. If you do not spend money well, you typically don't get to keep your title, a high title in the organization. But this is the Chicago White Sox. So I'm assuming you're giving the White Sox front office an F. Yep, or fail. You know, if I hold pass fail, it's an easy fail. Well... 82.5% 82.5% gives the White Sox front office a DF. 16% gives the White Sox front office a C. So there are still some Rick Hahn supporters out there. C for Cueto. C for Johnny Cueto. Finally, after a long conversation about the front office and our grades from the first half, the White Sox are below 500. They're 39-41. August 2nd is quickly approaching when it comes to the trade deadline. What do you think the White Sox will do at the trade deadline? This is a question I asked out on social media. Are they going to buy? Are they going to stay put? Or are they going to sell? Jim, where is your gut right now? And what do you think the White Sox will do at the trade deadline? I think it'll be like a small buy. Okay. Only 13% believe the White Sox will buy at the trade deadline. 58.5% say stay put. And they cannot stay put. You either have to buy or you have to sell. I I cannot believe the White Sox just staying put. And when I joined Lawrence Holmes and Dan Bernstein show, Lawrence brought up this fear that the White Sox will do nothing. They'll just stay put and hope that their team is healthy enough and they have a good spell of health a month or two with everybody coming back. And then finally see if they can make a run. Like, no, as you mentioned, we could already tell you don't have the bullpen depth. Like, the small buy, I can't believe I have to say this, 
they're going to need to add another reliever. It would be great if they could add a reliever that's really good against left-handed pitching because you only have one left-handed reliever right now, and that's Tanner Banks. And the other guy that was supposed to be good against lefties, Joe Kelly, isn't good against anyone right now. So the bullpen needs help. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to make a run, you need to buy there. Offensively, if you don't want to bring in another bat because the guys are getting healthy, uh, I I get that. I, I understand that part. But if you're not buying and if you're not adding to the bullpen and you're still below 500 come August 1st, August 2nd, then you got to sell. You got to do a soft sell and you got to start getting organized and get ready for 2023 because folks, the Minnesota twins are going to get better. They're going to add another starting pitcher. Yeah. There's some bad news right now out of Oakland about Frankie Matas, but you still got some other quality starting pitchers that are out there. I'm expecting the twins to get better after the trade deadline. If you want to keep using the Atlanta Braves as, as an example, man, the Atlanta Braves got crazy crazy before the trade deadline. They added bullpen arms and they added four outfielders before the trade deadline. Like that's not small buy. They bought a lot at the trade deadline to try to get their team to play up to the level of their expected win loss record because they had a positive run differential when it came, when they were 44 and 45 on the season that everybody keeps bringing up, they had a positive run differential. So I disagree with the stay put crowd. Like that cannot be an option. You are either buying or you are selling as a White Sox team. You got to pick a direction. It's a fork in the road. No, you're not allowed to drive straight through the sign and crash the car. You are buying or selling. Yeah, it's I, I say small buy just because I can see like a Tapera type deal. Like not enough to really change the fortunes, enough to uh, solidify depth, but not a way that affects you know, makes this teal, a team feel materially different. So I can see it being like an addition that makes it feel like standing pad. So I think like part of the standing pad is like adding, like, I don't think there's going to be like, we're going for it. No, move. I agree. So, yeah. So I think the part I wouldn't, you know, not that I can speak for the, the responders in the poll, but I think part of the standing pad will just be like, it's not a, it's not going to be seismic. Okay, so if it's from that perspective then, and if you are, listeners, mm-hmm. if you are one of the ones that voted stay put, let us know in the comments section, because if you are one of those, then okay, then I understand. When I put it out there, stay put, I mean no moves. They don't trade anyone away, and they don't add anyone. I don't think that could be an option for the White Sox. I think that's just laziness in the front office part. Like, you got to make a decision and you got to reorganize if you're going to sell and prepare for 2023 or you got to add and help improve the bullpen or try to improve on the margins of this roster as best as you can, even though I have no confidence in the team doing so. Yeah, we had some conversations uh, that uh, we had a lot of conversations, a lot of different teams. They didn't materialize. Uh, we had some things bubble up on social media and, you know, we try to keep a low profile announce moves when we have it, but we're hoping, you know, we're still monitoring uh, the market. It remains fluid and we hope to announce something in the not too distant future. Yeah, that's, that's definitely going to be said a couple of times, <laughs> a couple of times before August 2nd, but I, I'm with you, Jim. I think there'll be a small buy. It'll be another reliever. We'll make fun of it. Of course, because that's who we are as white Sox fans. Look at the white Sox still adding relievers. I will blow a gasket if they trade Colson Montgomery for a reliever though. I will not be happy, Jim, 
if they do that. They finally have a top 100 prospect. And if they trade him for a Craig Kimbrell type of reliever, then I'm not going to be happy. Go after the Ryan to Paris. Those, that, that ended up working last year. Let's try that again, White Sox, for the second half. But that is our first half grades. Again, thank you so much to everyone that voted on Twitter. If you'd like to share your grades, you can post your grades in the comments section for the podcast post on SoxMachine.com. like to hear what you guys think about the White Sox offense, defense, the pitching staff, the coaching in the front office after the first half of the 2022 season. And here's hoping that the second half of the season meets our expectations that we had before the season began and the White Sox can go on an epic run to get themselves back into the postseason because I do not want to start thinking about vacation plans, Jim, uh, in the month of October, but that idea has sunk in. So let's go, White Sox. It's time to start playing a lot better baseball in the second half. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. And whether you've been a longtime lurker of Sox Machine or, again, brand new to us, if you enjoy our work and you want more, think about supporting us at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of the podcast and website. And they're also the first ones to get our new Socks Machine swag. Monthly plans monthly plans start at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. And you can sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.